The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Welcome. I'm Ann Beal. And I'm joined today by Justin Packshaw, British adventurer, explorer, and co-owner-CEO of Deromer, Deromer Fashion Line. It has been a crazy day. I hope everybody out there is doing wonderful. We have this wonderful guest to talk about his exciting expeditions. Justin has climbed Mount Everest, gone to both North and South Poles many times. He skied across, jet skied across the Nigerian coast. He's biked across Mongolia and many other exciting adventures. And so I wanted him on today to talk about many things about um, excellence, endurance, and having the ordinary person do extraordinary things. One of my most favorite sayings I heard him say was, no one is born superhuman. It's quite the opposite, as we are actually quite fragile as human beings. But if you can find that little bit of extra that lies deep within, then you can excel to do extraordinary things. Welcome to the show, Justin. And how are you? And uh, hello, all all your audience. Well, um, that is the best saying. I heard you say that on your expedition to the North Pole. Yeah, I, and I'm fascinated. Um, I mean, you and I talked about this when, when we met earlier this year in New Orleans. Um, I am really fascinated by the science of achievement. Uh, and by that, I don't mean people who, who strive and get to the very best of their ability in, in say, sports or, or in business. I'm talking about every, every single person um, and uh, allowing them or understanding those really fantastic building blocks, which if you fuel them and you water them, allow you to do things that you thought you couldn't do, really. You know, it's, a, it's a belief system. It's um, really striving for your dream. And that starts, you know, I, as you, as you very kindly um, uh, just, just explained, I, mean, I have been extremely lucky in my life in that I have really been able to follow my dreams, things, you know, my dreams, my aspirations and things that were sown in me when I was a really young, young, young boy, really. And I had fantastic parents and a wonderful upbringing, so I was quite lucky. But the truth is, you know, you just have to, really be excited with everything that's out there. And when you start realizing that there are some sort of very basic things that you can do which allow you to really uh, progress um, and develop skills which allow you to go and do the things that you want to go and do, 
that's what fascinates me. Uh, and, you know, the more I talk about it, the, the more it galvanizes me um, in hoping that there's one person who listens to, to my particular story and goes, my goodness, I'm going to go and do that. You know, I, I'm going to go and try and, uh, you know, fulfill this dream that I've had all my life that just felt that life was too difficult to sort of overcome and I wasn't able to do it. Um, I really want to try and empower people to say, I can do it. You know, and, and that goes from, you know, your personal commitment to a bigger picture, which I call the art of fulfillment. You know, the best reward that any of us can have is when you give something back or you make someone else better and, it, and it's not necessarily for you. Um, all of that, all of that, I encompass in that, that field of the science of achievement. Um, and I, I really hope that we can sort of start creating a re real revolution and get as many people out there, uh, you know, really watering their souls. You know, when I hear all that, it, it sounds, <laughs> it's crazy. It sounds like me. That is what I love doing for people, and that's what my show is about. But you take that, and you take it to a whole nother level. And, and I think you're one of the few people I've met that actually made me feel like my life was more simple because of all the things I've done and all the places I've gone and all the opportunities I've had. But I look at you and, and I'm just fascinated and I think, you know, my parents and my family and a lot of people that have come along in my life have motivated me and loved me and encouraged me and empowered me. But I, when I met you and I heard your story and I heard your talks, I knew that there are people behind you as you grew up that had to somehow plant this seed. And I thought, you know, people fascinate me. And I was like, how in the world did you become you? And, and, and what would it take for my listeners to know how to follow in the footsteps of Justin Packshaw? Well, and look, it's, that's very sweet. And I'm very humbled by that. I mean, I don't, you know, I am just a small person, really, who... Uh, has been lucky enough to follow his dreams. You know, I'm 50 years old, and, you know, at every step, there's always a hurdle. You know, you don't just suddenly fall into these things. You know, when I was a young man, um, you know, I sailed for Britain. My, my great love is sailing, and, and I started by sailing for Britain when I was quite young. And I think well, if we dissect that, your question, to do anything really well, there's always going to be a... A, a, a sort of network around you of security, which allows you to start sort of pushing out of your comfort zone. And one of the other things which I'm quite interested by is, you know, when we look at our lives and you sort of say, well, I'd really like to go and do this, but I, I'm not equipped to do it. I don't have the experience. I don't have the skill set. Um, the truth is you just have to go and do it just start. And it can be anything. It can be learning tapestry, or it could be learning a new language, or it could be doing something else in business, or it could be, you know, climbing a mountain, whatever it might be. But something that you feel is going to make you a better person and more, you know, have more breadth in your character. The starting point with all of that is overcoming this dreadful thing that sort of encompasses all the things that we do, which is failure. You know, we are so worried about the aspect of failing. And I sort of turned that on my head in that I love failure. I mean, I, you know, I failed many, many times in my life. And, and 
the truth is I've only really failed once in that particular arena because you just learn. Yes, you might graze your knees, but what will happen is you'll pick yourself up and you'll go, actually, I'm a bit more determined here. And I realize that if the same situation happens again, I need to go left rather than right. And, and as you keep doing that, your confidence will grow. And confidence is a, is a bizarre thing. It's self-perpetuating. So the more confidence you get, the better you become at doing things. And when you start putting all that together, you realize that the more things you do, the more confidence you get your mojo increases. Your, your, you become more attractive. You become uh, you become more attractive as an individual within yourself. You become more attractive within, say, your family, uh, and you become more attractive in your business. So the starting point will always come from the aspect of you being prepared to step into the unknown. And I suppose it starts very young in all of us because, you know, when you were learning to walk and when you're learning to ride your bicycle and all, all those things, you know, that, that's full of pitfalls. You know, you will fall over umpteen times, but you will always know, or the lucky ones of us, this, this, this doesn't apply to everyone, but most people will know that there is a support system around them. Their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, you know, and then as you progress up, your teammates, your, your um, friends, you know, all those things. And we have to lean on it a little bit. But once you start getting some sort of forward movement, the most important thing, and I cannot stress this enough, the most important thing we all need to invest in is our belief system. I can do it. And that, those three words are so important. If you just say, I can do it, and, I have, and I'm sure, Anne, you, you must have had some amazing people on your show and people who who've sort of, they've, they've rewrited an imbalance of you would think they couldn't do something. And just by being determined, tenacious, passionate, they have been able to go out and achieve phenomenal things. And I, you know, one of the things that I do on some of my trips, I'm very, uh, I used to be a soldier in the British Army, and I'm very passionate about our wounded soldiers. And I've taken um, a few of them from my old regiment. And, uh, you know, we went to the South Pole, and then last year we did an amazing replication of a very famous uh, British explorer called Ernest Shackleton, who did something 100 years ago. And, and these are young boys and girls who, you know, their average age is their early 20s. They've all been really horribly hurt, um, either in Iraq or in Afghanistan. And their belief system is so strong that they will look at the, their ailments, their injuries, and say, I can overcome this, and I'm going to go and do this. And I've seen them do things that most able people wouldn't be able to do. But their, their, their belief in themselves and something else beyond that, you know, some kind of, of, of understanding of making things work around them. And obviously there's common sense that comes into, into that. There's an enormous amount of determination and, and discipline. But that belief system is what we all need to find. And when you find it and you start, I mean, I've been lucky enough, I'm fascinated by teamworks and, you know, obviously I, I, I run Dorona and, and, you know, I'm in the fashion industry so we make things. But my view with the people who, who work in our business is if, if they come to work on Monday and they're not happy about that or we're not fueling some aspect of their character where um, we're trying to bring out the best in them, 
then they shouldn't come to work. Because obviously, if you can start doing that in people, and obviously I've slightly jumped into the sort of older category of people, but if you start allowing people the um, ability to go and water other aspects of their character, it will affect all areas of their character and all areas of their life, from work to home and, and within themselves. It's not really that simple. It's not really that difficult. But once, if you can achieve that, it is amazing at how proactive, how powerful, and how happy um, you will become as an individual. And I've seen that. I mean, I've certainly seen it in myself. Uh, and I've seen it in you know, masses of people, either at some extreme part of the world um, or in my everyday life at work. Um, and I, I think that that's... I really think it's something we must all start striving for because, you know, uh, as I said, I've been a soldier, I've been to war, and um, there's a lot of pretty tough things going on in the world, but that doesn't mean that we must be in any way unexcited by what the future holds or about what we need to uh, do to educate the next generation to really have a very expansive view on making things better. And to do that, really, they have to make themselves better. We have to make, we all have to make our, our own selves as um, robust, as excited, as you know, full of passion and creativity, all the things um, that hopefully will drive us to achieve our dreams. And if you can start doing that, it's wonderful. You know, it really is the most wondrous thing, the most wondrous thing you can do. Now, you actually live in London, right? Yeah, I do, yeah. But you grew up in the Mediterranean? Uh, Yes, I grew up in Malta, uh, which is a fabulous little island right in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, It's very, very small. It's uh, 22 miles by 14. Uh, But it has a sort of unique, really, because uh, at the beginning of time, when uh, travel and trade and everything was done by boat, um, everyone used to stop in Malta to, you know, refuel and, and, and various other bits and pieces. So it, it's got sort of elements, Celtic temples there, and then, you know, the Greeks, the Turks, the Romans, you know, everyone spent a bit of time there. So it has an amazing sort of uh, aura and, and culture about it. Um, and I was very lucky. My parents, when I was about one, moved there. And... Um, so basically, we grew up sailing. There's four of us. I have two brothers and a sister. Uh, I'm the youngest. And, and we grew up, you know, very much outdoors. I mean, we didn't have a TV till I was 11. So um, we sort of entertained ourselves and, and made boats. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty special, uh, pretty special time, really. Um, and I'm very thankful it because a lot of the skills that I've learned and the love that I have for the outdoors and nature and, and all those things, um, really, it was... That, that seed was germinated uh, during that time. Well, it's Malta. I've never met anybody that, was, that lived in Malta, that grew up in Malta. It is a beautiful place. Yes, it is, Anne, and you must come and, you must come and see it. And I'll, um, yeah, you must come and stay. It's very lovely. You would love it. You would absolutely oh, love it. Very kind people, good food, you know, all the, all the nice things in life. Yeah, because I, I, when you think about um, the growing up on an, you know, on an island like that and sailing, you said you love to sail, and it makes total sense that you would have done that. Is that where the explorer part of you came from, or the, um, you know, the wanting to just go and see more beauty? 
yes, I think so. I mean, my parents, um, my parents were they were very fabulous, and um, they basically fundamentally just wanted two things from their kids. Uh, they wanted us to grow up interested in life, and they wanted us to grow up as interesting people. And I think they did a pretty good job at that because they made us realize that life's just about, you know, when you break it all down, it's really about your family and your friends and um, how you, you know, you work out what you're doing. And obviously things like ambition and ego and all of those things are, are an intricate part of how we progress. But, you know, ultimately it comes down to a very simple way of living which is, you know, in my books, it's, I, I'm always striving for excellence. And I don't mean that in, in a presumptuous way at all. But I really want to, to in my life, um, I appreciate how short our, our, the lifespan is, our life. So I want to fill it with as many things as, as possible, um, as many amazing experiences. And um, when you realize that that's possible, and, and, and again, I don't mean that in a presumptuous way, but it's possible in that at every level or any level that you might be coming from, it's really about you saying to yourself, I'm going to suck out every ounce of energy and um, stuff that I can learn from this particular moment. And I'm going to be the best that I can be. Now, in my adventurous side of things, if you are, as an example, climbing Mount Everest, there is a one in ten chance that if you get to the top that you won't come back. So it means that, you know, striving for excellence takes on a slightly different meaning because obviously you're going to strive for excellence because you don't want to die and you don't want any of your friends to die. So you become very articulate um, and clear as to how and why you're doing things. Now, obviously, there is a, there's a flip side to that which is, yes, but what about the people that you leave at home, your wife or your, your kids or, you know, in my particular case? And, and that's a very fair point. You know, it's a valid point as to being realistic about what your goals are and your aspirations, your dreams, and being responsible about tackling them. Now, again, this is, this is sort of a murky area, and my view very much is that um, you have to do things that you really feel you have to do if they make you feel alive. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and I think that aspect is, uh, again, quite an important thing to think about because um, most people get very claustrophobic by life, by, you know, working, by trying to pay their bills and all, all the other things that we all have. I have, you know, everyone will have the same thing. And they sort of forget the important things that really fuel them and make them happy. And I think that um, you have to sort of look at that sometimes and take a chance. Um, and it's not always easy. You know, it, it isn't easy. Um, however, the upside of it, as long as you are responsible and you are, um, you, you really gauge why you are doing things, then I think you must always go for it. You know, you have to keep being expansive, uh, growing, um, searching, striving, you know, stepping into the unknown. 
you know, the wonderful saying, you know, a journey of a thousand, a thousand miles starts with the first step. I mean, it's just so true. And it can be anything. It can be, you know, I want to lose weight. Well, you just have to start slowly and say, you know, in a year, this is where I want to be. Or it can be, I want to go and climb Mount Everest. And it's the same thing, you know, become a good climber and all, all, all those things. But just start it. Have a lovely time along the way. You know, everything you do at every level, have fun. Try and really bring sunshine into, into your life where you say, you know, this is, you know, it might be, uh, you might be scared, it might be freezing cold, it might be raining, you might be whatever. But somehow, I mean, I've been in those situations and someone will go and say something which is, you know, very, I mean, humor is a wonderfully potent and powerful thing again. And it just alters the, the situation as such. And I, I think um, the moral really is you just have to get involved. Um, and when you get involved uh, at the, the lowest level, it's amazing what that can roll into. And it normally will take you somewhere where you will learn a hell of a, a, hell of a lot of fantastic things. Um, you will um, meet amazing people. You'll meet amazing people. And um, you can't really go wrong from that. I mean, as we progress, I mean, you, you know, that has to be a good starting point on all the things that we're trying to do. Now, now, when did you, for the first time, because I know you talked about being in the British Army, did you do that right out of high school? Yeah. So basically, I, um, when I left school, I went, um, I came over to the States, actually. I was a very keen sailor. And um, the America's Cup, which is a very famous uh, yacht race, was on. Um, this is in 1984. And I um, sort of got involved with the British, the British um, team. And uh, so I came over to the States and spent about a year there. Ended up sailing um, a boat down the east coast of, of the States, which was fantastic. Um, and then and my parents were all very happy with that because... Um, on the 7th of January 1985, I was going to a place called Sandhurst, which is um, sort of like West Point in the, in the States, uh, where you go and learn how to be an officer. Uh, and so they knew that I, you know, I could be as wayward or, you know, do whatever I like, because uh, the following year I was going to be uh, gently molded, or not gently, quite forcefully molded into hopefully being, a, you know, a young soldier and a good young soldier. Um, so I then joined the army, and um, I was in the, in the army for just under ten years. Had the most fantastic time. Um, very lucky. I, I, I served all over the world um, and made some very firm friends, and also carried on um, my love of adventure and, and, and did some quite interesting expeditions then. Um, and, and it, yes, it was the sort of bedrock of my, you know, me following on to go and do the things which um, which I'd love doing, you know, my, my, some of my more extreme trips. Well, and you picked up some incredible skills during those eight years. Yeah, you- <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, one of them actually, um, I I know very few organisations uh, like the military, which is. Um, empowers you to understand the intricacies of teamwork, um, you know, leadership and teamwork, and bringing the best out in people and looking after everybody. Uh, there are very few, in fact, I, I don't really know any, 
which do it as well. Um, and, and I spent a, a bit of time um, working with the American Special Forces, and they uh, uh, everything I saw of, of the American military was, was exemplary at, in this field. Wow. Well, and I, I know that you also... And this fascinated me because I just we just sold our ranch. We had horses for a very long time. After having it for twenty years, we sold it, and I saw that you were an equerry to the Duchess and Duke of Kent. Yeah, to the Duchess of Kent. Yes, I was. Which was again, uh, you know, it, the sort of ridiculous, the, the sublime. Um, uh, I, I'm a staunch royalist, and. Um, to go and spend time looking after, you know, one of our royal family um, was amazing. I mean, they all work. They are incredibly diligent. They are very, very philanthropic, all of them. Um, as an example, we've just come, I, I led a trip earlier this year to the North Pole um, with some uh, very interesting entrepreneurs, all, all pretty successful. Uh, and we raised just over a million, do- a million uh, dollars for um, an amazing charity that Prince Charles set up called the Prince's Trust. And, um, you know, that charity, uh, Prince Charles indirectly through, through his efforts, raises over uh, just under $2 million a week for young kids who are, who are struggling in life. I mean, they are, you know, the, the British royal family are really incredibly uh, um, big-hearted and, and very, very motivated at making change and influencing people to be better and, and help them. Uh, and so I was very lucky uh, when I was accredited to the Duchess of Kent to, to be able to see that firsthand. Um, and the truth is they just, they, they work tirelessly. You know, they really are, they are, they, they work incredibly hard at trying to make other people's lives better. And um, yeah, it was very, I mean, I, as you know, Anne, I, I'm very, uh, I love philanthropy, and I'm a big believer in, in um, raising money for important causes and, and, and charities. Uh, and I think that was the sort of starting starting point for me uh, when I saw that firsthand. Well, I know, and I, I I I was wondering when you go on all these expeditions, you know, it costs quite a bit of money. And then I saw that you raised so much money, but I never realized until I heard you talking about maybe the 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 virgin bike across you know the the triathlon climbing the Matterhorn all that kind of stuff. They mentioned that you guys, or maybe it was when you went to the North Pole, that you guys actually finance your part yourself. Yeah, yeah. So basically. Um, all the trips that I do, uh, we are self-financed, so we will pay our own way. And then every single penny that comes into whatever charity I choose that we're going to raise money for will go directly to that charity. Not a single cent will come to us. Um, and I, I just think that makes it very clear as to what we're doing uh, and why we're doing it. Um, uh, having said that, you know, there are great organizations who, who get behind these trips. And, um, you know, I think that the whole aspect of what businesses are doing now and how, you know, they're going from being more traditionalist to progressive, you know, this this sort of forward-looking organization where there is, you know, increased transparency as to what they're doing. Um, And those organizations internally are creating sort of a higher, you know, a a feeling of a higher purpose. 
um, where there's sort of, you know, more social responsibility and that social responsibility is right at the core of the business. And I think it's a very interesting point. I think that part of that is because we are now embraced with a really exciting sort of generation, and, and, you know, I call it Generation Y, in that, you know, people are now questioning why stuff is done. You know, why am I doing this if I'm not very happy? And, you know, why aren't we doing more for X, Y, and Z? And I think that um, industry and businesses are starting to really sort of look at that and become much more, you know, uh, a business is almost a sort of subset of society, and then you know that subset is a subset of the planet. So people are sort of really becoming much more uh, aware of the important things um, that are, are sort of at the heart of their individual values, and then those individual values resonate through the organisations that they work. And I've certainly found it on you know over the last I don't know four or five years on some of the bigger trips I've done, um, where We've got organizations behind us, and they're really, they're absolutely fabulous to work with because they genuinely are concerned and genuinely want to help with whatever the cause, you know, their, their, their causes, their, their, their um, philanthropic or their corporate responsibility is. And I think that's great, you know, and I think they realize that people who work for them, it's not just a nine-to-five anymore. It's, you know, it's a full-time, you know, belief and, and they want to install loyalty and pride in their individual. I, I think, I, I genuinely think that's a very exciting thing that, that um, has come out over the last five years. Um, and again, as I said, it's more, you know, businesses and, and, and individuals are much more progressive in their thinking rather than the old, slightly more structured, traditional approach. Um, which is very exciting. I think it's, it's great, and it allows people a bit more breadth to go and maybe follow some of the aspirations that they have, um, some of the frustrations that they might have had in the past, where they can suddenly start working through them and say, you know, I, I can make myself better, or I can focus a little bit more on stuff which I didn't have time to do before, um, which I think is good, and we, we, we need it to, and we need to do more of it, but I think it's starting, and it's nice to see that that uh, is happening. I certainly see, I, every time I come to the States, I definitely see uh, uh, more of that happening, and I think that's very encouraging. Well, yeah, and I, I just thought that was so fascinating about the raising money and what you do there. I have so many questions, but we need to take a break. And then when we come back, I have asked people ahead of time that, you know, I told them I was going to be talking to you and I asked what they would like to ask you. And so I have some questions for you about like different things about climbing Mount Everest that people interested things they had about emotions and things like that. So I want to get to those when we get back after break, if that's okay with you. Nothing too tricky, I hope, Anne. And nothing too tricky. <laughs> I think people uh, people just want to know what it felt like, you know, and it trying okay, to get a little bit. Of, right? I, I'm okay. open for all questions. All right, Anne, uh, talk to you in a sec. Uh, okay, take a break. We'll be right back with Living Well.
us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to lifesolutionscoachingandcounseling.com or email them at lifesolutions.com cc at yahoo.com most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them nothing seems to work desires are unfulfilled fantasies unrealized and relationships become stagnant men are desperate today for a richer deeper more satisfying and intimate marriage dr jim slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate fulfilling marriage they've always wanted call 817-991-4964 or email jslaughterphd at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be we're on facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Living Well. This is Ann Beal, and my guest is Justin Packshaw. And we were discussing his his adventures, his ex- explorations and expeditions all over the world that he has gone on. And um, we are back with Justin. Hi, Justin. Hi, Ann. <laughs> well, are you ready for my questions? I'm so ready, Ann. I really am. Well, because uh, I want... Yeah, uh, Let's fire away. Okay. All right. So when you were climbing Antarctica, climbing Antarctica, you don't climb Antarctica, you go to Antarctica. Um, when you were there, what was the scariest moment of your adventure? Because when people think of Shackleton, because I know you were following in Sir Ernest Shackleton's footsteps, right? And when you yeah, think of yeah. Shackleton, you think of them getting stuck in the ice and stranded, and it doesn't sound like a good story. But it, well, uh, I, I applaud everybody to go and uh, learn a little bit about Ernest Shackleton and his endurance expedition of 1914. I mean, it is um, the most phenomenally brilliant story of um, endeavor, of teamwork, of passion, of tenacity, of belief. Uh, and in a nutshell, basically, 28 people went off in this boat called the Endurance to try and traverse across Antarctica. And bear in mind, it was only two years before that Rowan Amundsen had got to the South Pole. And <clears throat> so it was a very audacious, audacious uh, uh, undertaking. And um, basically, from the moment they set off from uh, an island where they went sailed all the way down south, and they, they, their last sort of port of call was on an island called South Georgia, where there were several whaling stations. And when they set off very early on, they got uh, stuck in ice. Uh, and basically, Antarctica every year grows by a third in the winter as the sea freezes. And, and, and they got caught in this ice. And for two years, they had an incredibly 
precarious uh, time. Um, eventually, their boat got crushed. Um, they had to live on the ice until it started melting. Then they had to take to their three sort of basically fundamentally they were rowing boats. And by luck, they made themselves. They, they managed to make their way to a little island called Elephant Island. And um, basically, they were they were in a lot of trouble. You know, no one was going to come and find them for sure. And Shackleton, who was probably the most extraordinary leader, um, decided that he had to try and get help. So on one of the little rainboats, which is 23 feet long, uh, which was aptly named James Can after one of their sponsors, um, he went and he sailed 800 miles um, in the Southern Ocean, which is, uh, I mean, I spent a bit of time sailing down there, and it's very, very precarious. Um, it's like nowhere else, really, in the world. And he sailed in this little boat uh, and uh, got to South Georgia, which is a, a feat on two levels. One, incredible seamanship, um, and secondly, extraordinarily brilliant navigating, uh, in, albeit everything was done through sextants and, you know, getting line sightings with the sun. Um, and they landed on South Georgia, and then they had to traverse across it, which, uh, again, is very, very uh, difficult. Um, and then they managed to get to a whaling station, and after two failed trips to try and get back through the ice to save his crew, he eventually managed to get back, and two and a half years after leaving, uh, he rescued the whole crew. So, so basically, you know, uh, it is an amazing story of of leadership and belief, and, and it's a wonderful yarn. And, and, and anyway, last year we replicated that trip. And, you know, I'm fascinated with old school explorers. And, and you know, when you put it into perspective, only a hundred years ago, uh, just over a hundred years ago, no one had been to the North Pole. No one had been to the South Pole. No one had been to the top of Everest. I mean, no one got to the top of Everest until 1953. And you know, that's an amazing thing. You know, they didn't really have maps then. They, they didn't have, you know, we live in this world of technology where you can, you know, you can Google and see and find everything, you know, pretty much everything. And we're all strangely sort of armchair explorers because exploration is in all of our souls. And to, to, I've been lucky enough to have replicated trips. You know, when we climbed Everest, we went up the Northeast Ridge, which is uh, quite a tricky route which uh, in, 1920, in the 1920s, uh, uh, Brit uh, several British ex expeditions over, uh, over three years tried to get to the top of Everest with a very famous climber called George Mallory, and we, we did that route. And then, obviously, when I went to the South Pole, we were uh, replicating um, uh, Rob Scott's uh, amazing trip in 1912. And the Shackleton one, I think, is sort of right up there because although his expedition wasn't a success, because they obviously didn't achieve their aim. It was a success in highlighting to people that you have to try these things. And as we were discussing at the, at the beginning of our chat, you know, the, the, the aspect of failure and turning failure on its head and saying, you know, it, it's, like, it's about having a, a positive mindset, you know, being positive and proactive as to what you are doing and why you're doing it. And in his particular case, what happened is, well, the wheels fell off the vehicle, and they, they really were, I mean, you know, by all rights, they should have all died. But that absolute rigid belief that he would get his team out, and the team's belief in themselves and in their leadership, um, meant that against enormous odds, they managed to survive. 
and having done that, and we took two wounded soldiers with us, um, very, very brave, fabulous young men from the British Army, um, and seeing their reaction, and also our reaction, and, and to put it into context, when Shackleton got to South Georgia, um, he, he landed in a place called King Hart Harkin Bay, and um, he then had to, um, because the weather is so bad there, he had to go to traverse South Georgia, um, and get to a place called Scromness, which is the other side of the, of the island, where, where there is a, a whaling station. And um, he did that. with the, They were in very bad order. They had all the wrong kit. They'd been at sea for 17 days in a rowing boat, so they had, they had uh, foot rot and, you know, they were scurvy. They were in a, a very bad, bad way. Um, there were five of them. And he took three, uh, there were three of them who were, crossed, it. they did something with Shackleton's traverse, and they did it in a day and a half. And when we did it, uh, the tail end of last year, we basically, it took us three and a half days. Wow. And at one stage, we dug in um, and had to spend the night, and we had about 180 miles an hour of wind, so over, over 200 kilometers of, of, 230 kilometers of wind coming across our tent, and it, it was very worrying. And yet, you know, these amazingly brave people a uh, hundred years ago who just sort of, they wanted to go there because it was there. They had no idea, you know, what was over the next horizon. And it comes back to that aspect of, um, you know, humans are meant to excel. You know, we're meant to do things. So to answer your question is, you know, what was the most frightening thing? I mean, ultimately, you are, when you tackle Mother Nature at her purest, She's a formidable beast, and if she decides to flex her, her, her muscles, then you're in trouble. Um, and again, that, that it, it just means that you have to be wise, you have to be responsible, you have to really gauge uh, your planning and preparation as to what you're doing and how you do it. Um, from my perspective, obviously, I always felt very responsible because, you know, I had these two young lads with me um, who, who were absolutely inspirational at every level. Uh, and so the whole thing sort of rounded into, it was all quite worrying because, you know, we did three and a half thousand miles of sailing in a small boat in, in a pretty inhospitable part of the world. But on the upside of that, um, knowing that we were walking a walk that not many people had done, um, the wildlife, Anne, I mean, I can't even start to tell you how magnificent it is. I mean, you know, we, we went to, to beaches where there were 3 million penguins, uh, 30,000 ele elephant seals, all fighting and rutting and, and, and orcas going up and down, but an abundance of it, you know, in this very, very harsh environment. There's a sort of wonderful abundance of life. And then you sort of realize that, that, that a part of the reason there's so much abundance is because humans aren't there <laughs> creating havoc. Um, so it was interesting. It was a sort of funny juxtaposition. But it's all quite dangerous, really. But, you know, we were very well prepared. Um, we really, you know, I'm a great believer in technology, and we're living in a wonderful era where, you know, the development of what we can do, and, you know, even this conversation we are having, here I am, I'm at Cambridge University in England, and I'm talking to you in the stage, and I, and I feel like I'm sitting next to you, Anne. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. That's so awesome. so many, there are so many things that we can put into things which will limit 
um, the aspect of, you know, why you're doing it and the danger. You know, obviously, I, I have young children and I have a wife who I adore and, and, uh, and I have a lovely life, you know, I have a very good business. And, and so, you, you know, you have to marginalize why you do it. But to be honest, if it wasn't a bit dangerous, it, it wouldn't be quite the same because it means that, you know, again, what we were saying about striving for excellence and, and bringing the best out in people and looking after people and nurturing them. And, but all of that, all that, that, those sort of ingredients, if we put that all in a toolbox, that can be related to absolutely any situation anywhere. So any of your listeners who are, you know, going through the, the, the rigmaroles of their life and going, you know, this is a little bit static for me or, or you know, I don't feel that I am furthering myself or I'm, I'm, I'm opening up myself. It, it, that isn't the case. You know, if you have all the tools, you just have to sort of believe that it's possible. And whatever the fear is, you know, you can just, just step into it. Be realistic, as we've said, but just step into it. Because it's amazing how good you'll feel. And your mojo will get charged and, you know, you will feel invincible. As I said, you know, humans, we really are meant to excel. And you do say many times, get on with it. If you have a dream, just get on with it. Begin, take a step, move forward. And uh, what you can do when you believe in yourself is incredible. And um, what else have you said? Stepping out of your comfort zone and just go for it. And I, I think that for you, you kind of emanate that with your life as far as all the expeditions. When you think, when people think of Everest, climbing Mount Everest, you know, my first thought was, why? You know, I was, and, and, and yet then all of a sudden, as soon as you had your emergency last week, I had an emergency with my dad, flew off to New Mexico, and I was sitting in the hotel room staring at the mountains and I felt them like calling me. I wanted to go climb them. <laughs> I, was, I was telling the people around me, I think I understand, except for the cold, freezing tundra of Mount Everest and the danger. You know, if I go climb, you know, White Mountain, it's nothing like climbing Everest. And so for that, that sounds, for most people, incredibly dangerous. So it would take, you know, incredible preparations so that you could return to your wife and child. And so I know you did that. Um, but, But here's a question somebody asked about Mount Everest. What did you forget or neglect to bring that you wish you had brought? Oh, my goodness. That is a very good question. Um, my goodness. What? Uh, well, our trip on Everest was very well run. Um, we were very well funded. Um, a, we, it was done with a very good friend of mine called Malcolm Walker, who, who owns a big supermarket chain in, in, in Britain. Uh, and he's, he's very successful. So, um, we had, you know, Markham likes likes all the nice things in life. So we had, you know, at our base camp at, 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 um, at, at uh, on the Nepali, we were on the Tibetan side. Um, at our base camp, we had, you know, a lovely mess hall and we had, you know, wine. And I mean, Markham did it all really well. The trouble is, you're already at 5,300 meters and all you want to do is... Is eat rice and everything very simple. Your body's slightly struggling. Um, and, ooh. Hello? I'm here. And? Oh, yes. I guess um, I'm here. And, um, sorry, sorry, I thought I just, I lost you. Um, and, uh, basically, you, you, you sort of, your body craves for simplicity. Uh, I think, 
I, I mean, I couldn't have taken them, but what I would have loved to have done is had access. I mean, we were away for 60 days. I would have had, liked to have had access to my wife and my children. Um, we had very limited, the, the internet connection doesn't, you, you don't have it up there, so there's no Skyping or anything like that. Uh, and it would have been nice to have been able to, um, I don't know, I, I miss them. <laughs> because yeah. days are long, you're obviously sort of getting, you're out there, and, and life becomes very simple in that there are no distractions, distractions that we normally have. Um, and um, yeah. it, it's funny how you sort of dwell on the things. It makes you a better person. So you, you really focus on um, the important things, you know, your family, your friends, and, and uh, what and why you do things. Uh, so I think that would be my answer. I mean, we, we, uh, we were all very focused as to what we were doing. Um, but yes, I missed my I missed my my lot quite a lot, uh, as I think everyone else did in the team. So um, yeah, but a very good question. Did you say sixty days? Sixty days, yeah, yeah. Oh. We we basically we acclimatized in um, Nepal, um, and then we moved over to Tibet. Um, and we set up camp, uh, base camp, and then, yeah, you start your campaign. Um, I mean, it's a very big mountain. One, one forgets how big it is. Um, and, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, and again, as I said, you know, I don't in any way want people to, to think you, you must be blasé in life. You must never be blasé. You have to get... You must follow your dreams, but planning and preparation, you know, you really got to look at why and how you're going to achieve things. And... Um, on Everest, you know, we were really very, very detailed. It was very well run. Um, we had a fantastic team around us. And, you know, we all knew what our motivation was, you know, and we realized that, you know, to be good at something, well, there's always going to be a flip side to being good at something. And, you know, it's about discipline. It's about hard work. It's about, you know, setting goals which are realistic but keep making you better. And... When you feel you've got all of those sort of right, uh, and then you've got to look at, you know, if you have an objective which is really quite punchy and difficult, then the planning and preparation side, but obviously the team is important and the communications and how you, you know, the network of how you, you build that. But, uh, you know, incorporating a shape, you know, a shared purpose, um, and, you know, no one up and all, all of those things, but making sure that, you know, you really have left no stone unturned. I think that that's very, very important. Um, and we did that, you know, we certainly on Everest we did that. I mean, 10 of us went and our objective was to get to the top. But really, I think our real objective was to get 10 people down safely. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we managed to do that, which was, which was a huge relief. Gosh, I had no idea how long it was. Now, if people want to learn more about you or find out more about your expeditions or give to the charities that, that you and help you raise money, um, how would they reach you? Uh, well, I've got a website, um, so it's egotistically, uh, which is justinpactual.com. Uh, or you can do it through my business. I mean, as you know, we have this, uh, I have a very lovely uh, luxury brand called Deroma, um, uh, and uh, you can do, we can do it through that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm at, I mean, I, I talk all over the world to businesses about uh, um, and organisations and schools about the science of achievement. Um, 
and I'm always receptive. I love getting um, people being in touch. Um, so, yes, very easy, very easy. All, all details are on the website. Well, and um, I had actually <clears throat> been watching something last night about you and reading all about Sage Summit when you were one of the speakers, and that's how I met you. People were saying they didn't understand why you weren't one of the main speakers because your story and your life is so incredible and your your talks are so motivating. And so I just want to encourage people if they need a speaker, Justin is incredible. Now, can you can you spell the name of the fashion line? Because that's your that your wife is a fashion model or was a fashion model, and this uh, is yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, yes, basically, um, my my business is called Deroma, spelled D-E-R-O-E-M-E-R, um, and that is my wife's maiden name, um, and Tam, her name is Tamsin, um, a very wonderful person that she is, um, and she has been in the business, in the fashion industry for a long time, first as a pretty successful model, and then she got into designing, um, and business with uh, Jade Jagger, who is Mick Jagger's daughter, um, which eventually got bought by a very famous jewelers um, in Britain called Asprey and Garrard. Uh, and then uh, they were the creative directors there. And then Tamsin and I started uh, started Doroma about eight years ago. Um, and we do very beautiful uh, jewelry, sort of top-end jewelry and cashmere and accessories. Um, and, yeah, I remember us discussing it in, in New Orleans. And, I mean, you know, Making things is, is a lovely thing. You know, we, we make very beautiful things, and there's great pleasure in that. And, and um, I, I do these talks alongside, obviously, running the business. Um, the business is about the science of achievement. And, you know, if you look at the sort of model of, let's say, as an example, we've been talking about Everest, but if you take Everest um, and you say that we're going to build a business around uh, us getting to the top of it, 10 of us, but the statistic is one of us won't come home. What you do is you just make sure that it's a very good, well, as in a starting point, it's a very good business plan that you write and that you make sure that everyone is happy and brings their A game and, and you know, you're always, always on it. And my view is that, you know, it, it's very easy to take those lessons and transport them and, uh, and integrate them into business. Uh, and, you know, that's what we, we are trying to do. And, and, you know, obviously, you've got to have a good artisan story. You've got to be creative. You've got to have the passion and all of that. But it's the same thing. Um, and I'm Justin, very... <clears throat> I, uh, I thank you so much. We are going to have to close. There is just okay. so much about you and your life. And I'm so glad to hear all about your business. Um, it is really beautiful. I went and looked at a lot of the clothes. We just thank you for being here. <clears throat> I thank you so much for sharing your adventures with us and helping us to just get on with it if we have a dream, which we all do. Move forward and just go for it and take a step. Thank you so much for being on, Justin. Such a pleasure, Anne, and, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Yes, we'll talk soon. I'll have you back on. You guys have Thanks. a wonderful week and live well. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerments.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 